You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. tells us. Verse 21, the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. And Romans 8, if you read the whole thing, you know who the children of God are. They're the ones who put their faith in the Messiah. We know the whole creation, verse 22, has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Groaning, waiting, longing for God to bring about the fulfillment of the plan. Many of us look forward to the day that we no longer have to deal with heartbreak, sickness, or death as believers in Christ. Not only will our glorification address the mortality of our bodies, but Christ will also restore all of creation with new heavens and new earth. In today's message, Pastor Danny reflects on the restoration of all things, and not just ourselves. In his study, you'll learn how even creation patiently awaits for the restoration of all things, breaking free from the effects of sin. Now here's Pastor Danny in Revelation chapter 4, as he continues his message, The Hope of Redemption. God knew it would happen. God gives the promise in Genesis 3.15 early on. He's going to send a seed of a woman, a person through a woman. Her name is Mary. She's the blessed mother. She conceived the Christ child. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. The majority of the Old Testament, that is the message. You see him in Abraham and Isaac, the father, the miracle son, offer him up on Mount Moriah, which is where Calvary was. The whole Old Testament sacrificial system was meant to teach that the only sacrifice It's sufficient. None of these bulls and goats and lambs. No, there's another one coming. The Lamb of God. The Psalms are full of specific prophecies about him. Micah, the prophet, told us exactly where he's going to be born, Bethlehem. And then John the Baptist comes on the scene marking the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, and he points points the world to the Messiah. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Romans chapter 8 is fascinating in light of what it says in this plan of redemption. Plan of redemption. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 21, and I don't have time to read the whole context, but it's talking about uh, the creation being liberated from the bondage because when sin entered the world and Adam and Eve sinned and sin passed upon the world of humanity because now all their children and descendants would would be conceived in sin. That's why you don't teach a child to do bad. He naturally does bad. But not only did humanity suffer, all creation suffered. God cursed the creation. And so Romans tells us, verse 21, the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay 
and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. And Romans 8, if you read the whole thing, you know who the children of God are. They're the ones who put their faith in the Messiah. We know the whole creation, verse 22, has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Groaning, waiting, longing for God to bring about the fulfillment of the plan. I think I've said enough about that. Now we know why John's weeping so hard and so long. But wait a minute. Let's think about this a little deeper. John is weeping. I'm talking about John, the apostle, right? He's one of the privileged 12 handpicked by Jesus. Jesus prays all night and go picks these guys and designates them apostles. They travel with him for three years. They witness all the miracles. They get personal tutoring. When, when, when they don't understand something, you know, uh, except a few times when they were afraid to ask him about it, he gives them private lessons of what he's saying and what he means. They're perplexed when he goes to the cross, but everything changed when he resurrected and appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. This is John, an apostle. Not only did he have the privilege to be with Jesus for three years, witness his resurrection, be there when he ascended back up into heaven, but now here on the island of Patmos, Revelation chapter 1, he sees the resurrected Jesus glorified. And so doesn't it cause us to think and ask why would somebody like John be weeping so hard and so long? And you'll be surprised, I bet, that I have some thoughts on that. <laughs> he knows enough about what's in the scroll that he weeps. Where was he when he got raptured? Patmos. Why was he there? Oh, let me just go back and remind us why he was there. Revelation chapter 1 tells us. Revelation chapter 1 verse 9. He says, I, John, your companion and brother in the suffering and kingdom. Suffering and kingdom. Suffering and kingdom. He's talking about being a person of the kingdom in this life. Because being a person of the kingdom when the plan is totally fulfilled, there's no suffering. In the suffering and kingdom. And, oh, here it is. And patient endurance. That are ours in Jesus. Was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He was banished to Patmos. Don't forget this. We covered this in the opening in our study of book, the book of Revelation. Domitian banished him because after trying to boil the dude in oil and God miraculously allowed him to survive... Domitian didn't know what else to do. He couldn't kill the guy, so he said, I'll take him and I'll send him to the Alcatraz of the ancient world, the best prison the most notorious prisoners went to. That's where Domitian sent John. He is there. He is an aged saint, and he is suffering because of his faithfulness to Jesus, and he gets raptured out of there in the spirit and sees this glorious thing, the throne of God, the ancient of days, and then he sees in chapter 5 this scroll and seven seals. Who is worthy to open the scroll? He knows enough of what's in the scroll that he's going, yeah, somebody open it. Let's finish this thing, and I don't have to go back to Patmos. <laughs> but he weeps long and hard. 
Because for whatever period of time while he's weeping, nothing is happening. The father's sitting on the throne. He's on the throne. He's in control. He could do something, but he's not doing anything. And so John continues to weep and wait. And thank God for John. We have verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. <laughs> See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is triumphed. He's able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slayed. The word is a strong Greek word, butchered. And we know who this is. This is none other than Jesus. He's standing in the center of the throne encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns, ultimate authority. He had seven eyes, ultimate scrutiny, which are the seven spirits, sevenfold spirit of God sent out into all the earth. He came and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb because he's equal with the ancient of days. They worship him. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense. What's the incense? We don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to speculate, which are the prayers of the saints. Pause with me there a minute. The incense, the prayers of the saints, and in the fulfillment of God's plan, ultimately, every prayer, every desire, in the will of God, every prayer in the will of God that up to this point has not been fulfilled will be fulfilled. And that's a reason to sing. And so they do. <laughs> and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. It's a prophetic song. And then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands. You have to try to imagine what this must have been like for John. And 10,000 times 10,000, innumerable number, they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. I told the Saturday night service, and they were smaller in number than you are at 9 a.m. service. I told them that I believe they were more zealous than the 9 a.m. service. And I believe that they could, even though this is a song and then the angels are singing, uh, we're going to note in a minute, it's going to be more than just the angels. And so I thought we take what the angels sang and we'd say it for practice. And I told them that next Saturday night I'd report whether they beat the 9 a.m. service in the decibel level. So there's your challenge, all right? And here's what we're going to say, just what the angels sang. And you want to say it with gusto because he's worthy of it. You ready? On the count of three, let's say it together. One, two, three. Here we go. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. 
I realize I'm not the ultimate judge, but I am the judge of the contest between you and the Saturday night crowd. And my, 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 my evaluation is they were just as loud as you. But, but on, on that first one. But now in a moment, you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to go over the top. Because what happens, what happens next? Look at this. Then John says, verse 13, then I heard every creature. That would include us, wouldn't it? In heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and on the sea, and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Now here's the opportunity to not only please heaven because heaven's listening, but to, but to lay the Saturday night service in the dust. Just leave them behind, all right? So here we go. Here it is. You ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And I'm happy. I'm happy to be able to say I can see Jesus by faith smiling. And the Father pleased. And I'm happy to be able to next Saturday night report that you crushed them. You crushed them. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Amen means so be it. Amen. Amen means it's true or whatever. Right on, you know. So let's together on the count of three. Amen. One, two, three. Amen. Woo! <laughs> the lightning is one thing, church is another. And I love it when the lightning win, or any of our teams win, but man, we're talking about eternal stuff here. Stanley Cup comes and goes. Now you say you're done with two chapters and it's 1005. Can we leave? No, not quite. Every one of the writers of the New Testament were horribly persecuted. Matthew was beheaded, as was the Apostle Paul. Mark was dragged to death by a team of wild horses. Luke was hanged in an olive tree. John was the only one who died a natural death, but you, of course, know how much he suffered. And I don't think he was excited in some ways that he outlived all of his peers. Because living longer on this earth meant more suffering. Peter and Jude were crucified, and James was battered to death with a club. I long for the soon fulfillment of the will of God and the plan of redemption. But those who are suffering intensely long for it even more than I do. When we get to Revelation chapter 6, Revelation chapter 6 and verse 9, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. And then each of them was given a robe, a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. Friday morning, my assigned reading was Psalm 137 in the Psalms. In Psalm 137, if I could just read a little section of it, goes like this. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we hung our harps for our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. 
You talk about a terrible time in life. These Israelites had been taken captivity in Babylon, and now their captors were mocking them and making them singing songs of joy. <laughs> mocking them. Verse 8 is interesting. The psalmist says, O daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is he who repays you for what you've done to us. He who seizes you, he who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. You say, that's a psalm? Yeah. And in my quest study Bible, I couldn't help but note the commentary on the bottom. Those who would want to see enemy infants dashed against the rocks would typically be those who have seen their own infants suffer the atrocities of war. We don't have to defend the feelings of the psalmist to understand them. One side commits war crimes and genocide in exchange for the other side's holocaust and massacres. I can't appreciate what some Christians have gone through and are going through. And then the commentator writes, those who wrote what are often called imprecatory or curse psalms were concerned about something far more significant than revenge. They were concerned first for God's holiness and recognized that he was offended by the atrocities committed against his people. They were also concerned about justice. They knew that right will triumph only when evil has been overthrown and punished. And that's what the majority of the book of Revelation is all about. Isaiah writes in chapter 45 where God Jehovah says that one day, and he swears by it, he swears, and only God can swear like this. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But we aren't told the full declaration there. Why? Because Jesus hadn't yet come. And it wouldn't say there in the Old Testament that every knee will bow before Jesus. Only in the New Testament do we have records like this. Philippians Chapter 2, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. And under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's just what we read in Revelation chapter 5. i got to finish. May 19th, after my Bible reading, one of the devotionals, devotionals that I've read many times and I'm reading through again, May 19th, my utmost for his eyes, Oswald Chambers. The Lord told me not to read it. Not trying to be dramatic. Let me bring you right up to the verses that you're doing so well in proclaiming. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall Patmos, trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it's written, for your sake we face death all day long, we're considered a sheep to be slaughtered. No, in 
all these things. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Would you say it with me? For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. One more if you put the next one up, and then we're going to close. Ready? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Do you know what we have in terms of our inheritance in Christ? Paul the Apostle wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, all things are yours. We're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. He wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Christ. And the Apostle Paul, who suffered so greatly for his faith and his commitment to Christ, would write an amazing statement, despite all he suffered. In Romans chapter 8, verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 17. Behold, I will create a new heaven and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. That cannot be God wiping out our memory. If God wiped out our memory when the plan is ultimately fulfilled, then we wouldn't know why we were there. But we'll always know why we're there. We're there because of Jesus. And God gave me this simple illustration years ago, and I close with it, that I just can't seem to improve upon. Think about the most glorious experience you've ever had in this life. For some of us at this point, it's scoring the winning goal, the winning shot, the winning touchdown. And in that moment, I mean, it didn't matter that your girlfriend had just broke up with you. It didn't matter that all everything else was going bad. In that moment, it was glorious. For some of us, it was that trip to Alaska. And as you stood there, you know, and you marveled at all the beauty and everything back at home, all the problems, all the issues, all of a sudden, just for a moment, it was so glorious and you forgot about it. You know what heaven's going to be like? It's going to be so glorious that based on the verse I just read, it's not that we can't remember. It's going to be so glorious, you won't think about it. What's the point? The point is this. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know if it's your husband. I don't know if it's your wife. I don't know if it's your kid or kids. I mean, you should have stopped at one maybe. I don't know if it's your job. I don't know if it's your health. I don't know what it is in life right now. But if you get your eyes back on Jesus, even though there may be times of weeping, just like John had. John wept long and hard because he didn't want any more waiting. He knew enough about what was in the scroll that he wanted the end to come. Oh, Lord, would you just end it? Just take me home. Most of the time, that's not going to happen. The night is nearly over, Romans 13, 12. The day is almost here. Psalm 35, weeping may remain for a night, but joy, rejoicing comes in the morning.
As you continue to study the book of Revelation, you'll see destruction and death, but also the incredible future that awaits you if you're a follower of Jesus. The pictures painted of the throne room of heaven are inspiring and exciting, and you'll one day get to stand where John stood. You'll meet the Lamb of God, who took away your sins. You'll rejoice with the angels and spend eternity getting to know your Creator as He always intended, in perfect love. This is something to cling to as you move through the difficulties of life, and we hope it spurs you on to share the incredible truth of salvation with everyone you meet. Thanks for tuning in today for The Living Word. We'd like to tell you how you can access more teachings from Pastor Danny. All you need to do is visit our website, ccfstpete.church. Click on Sermons to be directed to our YouTube channel. And don't forget to subscribe. That way, you'll never miss a new edition of The Living Word. Are you listening in the St. Petersburg area right now? If so, we have a special invitation for you. Pastor Danny and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship would love to have you join us for our weekend services. Find out more and get directions at ccfstpete.church. Thanks for tuning in today, and we hope you'll join us again right here on The Living Word.